every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste. No city or house divided against itself will stand. Matthew 12.25 Division, deception, misinformation, mistrust. In a nation where so many in the faith are wondering how we got here, and many question if there's any way to reconcile, we bring you a space designed to ensure that truth reclaims the fringes, open, honest, and real. No filter. Nothing is off limits. Nothing is out of bounds. This is Two Americas, One God. Sharon Hadi Miller, doctor, pastor, extraordinaire, amazing, mother, author. I mean, can we add anything else to that? What 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 can we add? Potential future YouTuber. <laughs> no, no, current YouTuber. Oh, sorry. As, 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 oh, no, no, as, as hobby. Yes, right. yes, no, as, yes. <laughs> side hustle. <laughs> yeah, there you go. No, don't please don't side hustle. I don't think she's doing that. No. Well, uh, but Sharon, how you doing? Welcome to the podcast. It's good to be back with you guys. Yes, the hangouts are fun. The hangouts are fun. <laughs> All right. So, Dev, you know, we're excited. We had a chance to read this book. Yes. Um, and we want her to, of course, uh, you know, kind of lay out the groundwork and stuff. But the cost of control. <sighs> Sharon, can I be honest? Every time I see a title of yours, I just get like schoolgirl giddy. I do. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I really do. You know, like I saw a nice I saw Free of Me, and both times I was like, okay, my ears are perked up. I know I got to read it, but my ears have perked up. And now we've got the cost of control. So I'm going to shut up because I feel like you need to go ahead and give us uh, a, an overview. And then we're going to go ahead and dive in some questions. But of course, who are you first and foremost? Where are you? What are you doing? How do you do it? You do it great, but you know, we just need to know these things. So I'm in Durham, North Carolina, and I lead Bright City Church with my husband, Ike. And we also have three kids. So my oldest just turned 10. And then my middle is seven. And then we have one little girl who is now four and a half. And so they, between that and the church, my days are pretty full. (laughs) I couldn't imagine. I have two kids, a job, and I haven't written any books. Uh, So (laughs) congratulations on on all of that. Uh, I remember uh, the last time we got together, we talked about your book, Nice. And uh, that was challenging because I tend not to be all the time uh and now this one uh about controls like oh my goodness okay so we're just going to keep challenging people more which is amazing um Mm -hmm. so what led you to uh wanting to write a book about control yeah so two years ago you know the pandemic hit and i was paying really close attention to how christians were responding to it you know whenever something like that happens it is very revealing. We, we tend to blame difficult situations on, you know, our responses. Like I'm reacting this way. I'm feeling this way because this thing is making me react this way or making me feel this way. But I, I think it tends to really reveal actually what was just already there. And so I was noticing in the church, this inability, this lack of spiritual equipping to face the pandemic. And you could see people weren't going to God with their fear. They're going to the internet. Mm -hmm. You know, they were just constantly scrolling the internet, reading news articles, you know, trying to get all the information they could, you know, going on social media to either get advice or give advice. But you could see that what had essentially happened was people had this this sudden loss of control. They felt like they were out of control or lack of certainty or predictability. And instead of entrusting that to God, they were scrambling, looking for, okay, where can I feel control in other areas of my life? Or where can I assert predictability or certainty in some other area of my life? And so I I realized pretty quickly into the pandemic that it was exposing this major issue with control, this idol of control. And so as, as a pastor, you know, that is always 
significant to, to see how your people are being formed, like spiritually formed, what is forming them and how do we undo that and form you into the image of Christ. But I, I teach best out of my own conviction over my own sin. <laughs> and so I'm yeah. seeing all this happen and I start, you know, really digging into it and studying it. But then at some point I, you know, turn the focus on myself and, and kind of ask the question, well, do I struggle with control? And spoiler alert, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but part of what the journey of writing this book helped me understand is that some of the common ways that we seek, feel, and control in our lives are the least likely ways that we think about control or that we associate with control. And I think that's part of the reason why I didn't really see it in myself. Like I, I didn't think of myself as a controlling leader because I'm not a controlling leader, but I still run to control. I run to things to give me a sense of control in my leadership and in our church. And that has been really helpful to name and to expose in myself in, in this journey of freeing myself of that. You know, you mentioned that you didn't feel that you were that type of leader necessarily, but then when you, you kind of peel back some of the layers, you realize that it exists. That in, in reading your book and just thinking about control in general, um, you know, the, the term manipulation comes to mind and... I feel like manipulation controls the the controller and the control e, right? Like, like we're it's doing kind of both things at the same time. It's telling us that, you know, oh well, we're doing we're controlling this uh, for their own good, so we're doing this for just and, and right reasons. Uh, so as a pastor, that that's got to be tricky. So what are some areas that you kind of examples that you realize that this is how you were maybe unintentionally behaving and then work to correct those things. Yeah. So I don't even think manipulation for me personally is, is the number one way that I try to control people or my husband, you know, what I, one of the things that I realized the number one tool that I actually run to, to control people or to give myself a feeling of control is knowledge and information. Mm, okay. And just to give an example of like how this played out. So, and I write about this in the book, but we, you know, we're leading through the pandemic, leading through this highly polarized time where every decision that we make is going to disappoint someone in our church. Right. Every, dis every decision, <laughs> it's really? just constant, yeah. constant no lose-lose. <laughs> but I would think, well, if I can sit down with this person who is upset with me and walk them through the scripture that we have based this decision on or the theology or direct them to the expert in our congregation who is counseling us through this or direct them to the other pastors that we have consulted with and how all of this, you know, formed our decision. If I can just download that into their brain, then they will change. <laughs> <laughs> I can make them change by getting the information that's in my head into their head. And unfortunately this, literally never worked. Unfortunately, it, it was really heartbreaking. Actually, it, it never worked. But what it did instead was cost me. And, and this is the whole title of, of the book is the cost of control that anytime you try to control something that God has not given you control, it, it costs you. Wow. Yeah. And so the way that it cost me was my own mental health, because I would lay awake at night, rehashing these conversations, you know, thinking if I just said it this way, if I just said it that way, if I came at it with this argument or from this angle, then they would finally see it. And, and I was just spinning my own wheels, losing sleep at night, ratcheting up my own anxiety. But then it also actually strained my relationship with them because people will not be pushed, you know, well, and, yeah. and if they feel like it, even if it's, even it's not manipulative, even if it's not coercive, people don't like to be pushed. And so it wasn't working, but th that is 
not a way that we typically think of, we don't associate that as being about control, but it really was that it, I was trying to not just control them, but give myself this, this feeling of control. And that is arguably the original form of control, because we go back to Genesis three, when Adam and Eve reach for power that God has not given them, they are rebelling against the boundary that God yeah. has placed on their will. Yeah. And how do they do it? By eating from the fruit of the tree of knowledge. <laughs> and that is like the original sin, the original form of control, ground zero for where all of our issues with control came from is associated with knowledge. And we tend to overlook that, that that's how we he dealt with the pandemic as we went online and we read as much as possible because we were looking for this, this feeling of control. We we're looking for knowledge to empower us in some ways, or we think that knowledge is something that I, if I just throw enough like information at you, that you are going to suddenly change your mind and agree with me. And that's like all social media comment sections are sort of predicated on that illusion of control. But unfortunately, it doesn't work. It's just an illusion. All it does is cost you in the end. And so that was a huge one that I've never thought about. This is actually about control. But now that I understand that it is, it's been really helpful for me in those situations where we make a decision and someone in our church disagrees. And I, I no longer am going down this trail of thinking, well, if I just do it this way, if I just say it this way, this going to change their mind and just to release it and say, no, that that's actually not how it works. And I can either accept that or I can push back against it, but I'm going to end up paying for it in the end. Oh man. Okay. Um, that was a whole <laughs> word. <laughs> I love having this podcast so much because it is free therapy for me because <laughs> we have these brilliant people on and I have, you know, self-revelations every time I talk to them uh, because that is uh, like 10,000% my experience. And I think it's, it's rooted in the fact that the reason why I've changed the way I think or the way I believe over the years is due to knowledge and learning more and opening yeah. myself up to more information. And, and so I think that that's going to work on others. So I just throw facts and knowledge and information and book recommendations and, you know, uh, article links yeah. and yeah, it, it doesn't work. We've learned uh, <laughs> yeah. quite well, a few thing, times. It's yeah. not that knowledge isn't powerful because yeah. it is, you know, yeah. I wouldn't be a preacher if I believed that knowledge wasn't powerful, right. but that's where Jesus's parable, the sower, I think is so important to right. remember yeah. because we tend to act as if the takeaway from that parable is that you just need to throw the seed yeah. harder at the ground yeah. or you need to change the way <laughs> that you're throwing the seed or you need to throw <laughs> yeah. air, more of it. You know, salt. that's, yeah. that's yeah, like the takeaway, but that isn't the takeaway. Right. <laughs> no. The takeaway is that it has to do with the receptivity of the soil. And so, you know, when you look back on knowledge helped me so much, it's because you had good soil, like you were receptive to learn and, and to grow. Mm -hmm. But if the soil is rocky or hard or thorny, you know, it's not going to work. And that has been a huge game changer for me in terms of thinking about, okay, my job is to primarily like just cast out the seed, but I, I can, there, there is a role to play we have some influence over the soil. Like if there's someone in your church who the soil of their heart is hard or rocky, I think a, a pastor needs to ask why, mm. like, how did they get that way? And is there anything that I can do to soften the soil of their heart? And that that's a much more limited influence, but that's the question that we need to be asking because pelting them with information is just not going to work. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, one of the biggest pieces since I've become a pastor that I've noticed, uh, because if I'm being honest with myself, my being a pastor is a bit of a sociological project. Uh, I am uh, very much an African-American male, cultured, 
um, but still, I, as as is black. And I'm in a very <laughs> um, blue collar, uh, and some would say in certain cases, country fried uh, redneck of, <laughs> of, of a neighborhood. And, and, and don't don't get it twisted. I love my church. We are amazing. It's awesome. Um, but yeah, I I can definitely attest to that because I know that I can have a conversation where I can give people the history of the things that I've learned, and I've learned much. And I, a lot of them have not learned what I've learned because everything is really experiential and existential. Uh, so you are correct in that, but. Uh, I would say that um, when I saw that you were uh, writing about uh, the parable of the sower, I was like, yes, <laughs> uh, because yeah, you're, you're right. Um, I believe that personally it's it's the tilling of relationship that begins to soften up that soil. And, and I'm pretty sure that you would attest to that as well. And I'm excited because I, I do see sometimes that having a conversation and then kind of dropping a couple of seeds of knowledge in the process can help. Now, of course, at the same time, I recognize that it also takes time, uh, just like cultivating really good soil. And I know that uh, a big part of us in control is that it's it's all tied directly to this hot and now society that we have and how, unfortunately, that culture is permeated inside of our church doors as well. Uh, so I'm really glad that you're addressing that and attacking that because I'm pretty sure that's going to rub some people the wrong way. But I feel like it's also necessary. Um, I, I wanted to, to see if you would take a couple of seconds and kind of speak to the understanding of that since we're on the church topic of spiritual power, because you, you address that in the book as well, uh, and and how, in a sense, spiritual power could, should, and would be used to do the exact opposite of what you're saying in the church and having a growing and fruitful church, but somehow, for some reason, that's not happening. Can you address that? Because I'm, I'm confused as a pastor. Uh, unconfuse me, please. Yeah, so I have <laughs> unconfused. Um, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna acknowledge my limitations of influence here, <laughs> um, but yeah, I have a chapter where well, I have a section of the book where I look at different tools of control essentially, and I already mentioned knowledge and information as being a huge one, but the one that we tend to think about most often is is power. That, right. That we use power to control. And one of the ones that I, I look at is spiritual power and spiritual authority. And with that one, that is one that I have personally, in the last four years of being a pastor, I've been on kind of a learning curve of understanding the fact that I'm a pastor means that God is attached to everything that I do as a pastor, you know, not, not necessarily like in my life everywhere outside the realm of the church, but within the domain of my church influence, everything that I do, God is attached to it. And that is extremely chastening because on the one hand, it means that when you speak encouragement over your people, it isn't just like an ordinary person doing it. There, there's right. something really powerful about your pastor, like seeing you and, and speaking over you truth and calling and, and purpose, you know, there, there's tremendous power, but at the same time, there's also the tremendous opportunity for damage. Mm. And one, one thing that I've realized is that as a pastor, I can, I can recommend that someone do something, you know, and I'll, I'll feel like I'm just nudging them. Like I'm doing it really gently. I'm, I'm not pushing them, <laughs> but because I'm a pastor, what feels like a nudge to me yeah. feels like a shove to them. Wow. Yeah. yeah you yeah. really should think about seeing a therapist. Oh my God. My pastor thinks I'm broken. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. Yep, and so it really has been so sobering to reckon with that because the, the thing that, that makes it so hard is pastors, we know we are just people. We know right. that. Right. Can, can you say I'm, that one I'm more time? Not, well, so you the, said the something. Good ones, the good ones. I'm not special. I was about to say, yeah, Tom, I was like, not can you say that one more time for the people in the back? I know yeah. I told you to say that last time you were on here, but do it again, please. Yeah. Yeah, yeah no, I'm, I'm just a regular human being. I'm flawed. I'm a sinner. I'm not special at all. And 
I can think everyone else knows this, like everyone else understands this. And so when I'm communicating with you, <laughs> it's as like a regular person, but because I have that pastor title, yeah. that is not how it is received at all. Right. And so that has been just a, a really steep learning curve for me. And thankfully it has been not in a really like high stakes situation, but I think when, when pastors forget this and they really sin against their people and they think they're doing it as just like a, a person, but really they're, they're kind of like attaching God's name to it. Right. It really messes people up. Yeah. And so that, that is just incredibly sobering to me. Well, and the New Testament talks a lot about just the the authority that comes with being a pastor as well as the additional levels of responsibility. Like it's it's double. Like it's 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 more. And uh, you know, I whenever I read books like this, of course my my brain just travels all over the place and uh, I f- feel like a lot of pastors right now when we're talking about control, like their number one tool whether they realize it or not is fear. And it's like the the Marxists are coming or, you know, the, the, the school is going to, you know, turn our kids into to crazy people. And everything is about like these little battles that have to be won. And that kind of rallies the troops. Um, and I, I, I fail to understand why people respond to fear so well, but they don't respond to other things as well. So when you're working and talking with your congregation, um, because I, I think there's healthy types of control. And there's unhealthy types of control. <laughs> so what are some of the ways that you're trying to uh, maybe institute uh, control measures in a, in a healthy sense? Well, I would clarify and say pastors should not be controlling their people like in any situation. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to say that in like an unqualified way because no, no, you're people are not <laughs> yeah, like yeah, yeah. without any qualification pastors should never be controlling their people or their church and the reason that we should this is a never category for pastors is that it's a never category for god mm. god we we talk about god being in control he is in control he's sovereign of all but what we don't say about god is that he is controlling And that's a really important distinction. And we see this in Genesis one and two, where God is in control of the garden, but he is not controlling Adam and Eve. He gives them boundaries and he gives them direction, but he is not micromanaging them. They have free will. They are actually the freest that any human has ever been. Mm, And so that distinction is really, really important that God is in charge And he also has the power. If he wanted to control them, he could, but he chooses not to because preserving their free will is essential to their humanity. And so this is really, really important for us to remember because I get asked all the time, is there ever a time when it's right to control other people? And I would say, no, there's not. Now, that doesn't mean you don't intervene sometimes. Like if my child is running into the road, I'm going to you know, pull them out of traffic, but that's not controlling them. <laughs> you know, that's right, rescuing right, them. Right, right, but yeah. it's it's so it's fascinating. We see this really mysterious combination of God's sovereignty and human free will all throughout scripture, even when, you know, you think about Pharaoh and Exodus and how God doesn't make Pharaoh choose the path that he does. He right, hardens right. his heart, but at the end of the day, the choices are made by Pharaoh. And so there, there's a really important balance there that, that we need to hold on to. And so I think with, with pastors, even when you can see your people are headed down a path, you know, you can speak to them about it. You can try to, you know, encourage them to turn around, to come back, you know, to turn away from destruction, but control is not given to us as a form of influence. And when we stray into that category, it is only going to break things more. And so that's kind of an answer to your question. No, absolutely. I think it's, you know, there's so many words that we kind of uh, expand the definition of because it's adjacent to other terms like, you know, leadership or governance or whatever it is and control 
people would be like, oh, well, that's kind of the same thing. And um, no, it, it's definitely something that I think uh, without some self-reflection, those types of qualities in someone or a pastor or a leader or whatever it may be can easily evolve into control, which like you're saying, it generally <laughs> ends up being a negative thing, not a positive thing. So Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I would say uh, I am, let me give a preamble to what I'm about to say because I, I am not the be all <laughs> end all of the understanding of this, but I'm very grateful for the fact that I had 10 years of really wanting to be a pastor and not getting the chance before I finally got the chance to be a pastor to really prepare for situations exactly like those. Mm. Um, you know, i I, I make reference to what is it, John six six six. Oh no, not six six six. Oh my God, anything <laughs> like that. Uh, but you know, the, some people will say that's the the darkest passage in the Bible um, because it's the passage where uh, what the hundred and twenty sixty whatever disciples that Jesus had, all all of them except for twelve decided to unfollow him. Um, and why on earth would that be? Uh, a dark passage the fact that jesus was unfollowed why because they decided to defect from the faith um and and not follow jesus anymore okay that that's gonna happen and and as pastors i think we need to understand that as well um and and the biggest part of that is jesus wasn't seeking to control or manipulate the the almighty the all-powerful in flesh you know, he didn't say, no, come back. Let's talk about it, please. please. No, no. God, why are you leaving me? Oh, God. You know, and, and, and that's that that is a I think it's a testament to and a testimony to what we should be doing as pastors, because he was speaking into their life and he was saying some things that they either really couldn't understand to the point of confusion and frustration or they just flat out did not want to hear. Uh, but nonetheless, he did it. It's like all the forth telling prophets. It's the reason why they couldn't stand Jeremiah or Isaiah or Ezekiel and all of them. Uh, he did the same exact thing. But of course, obviously, he was Jesus. And 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 in the understanding of that for me, I, I recognize and this could probably rabbit trail us and some someone try not to do it. But I recognize that it pretty much snuffs out or is antithetical to a lot of what current church culture would say as far as having your spiritual leader, your pastor be the person that you adhere to. You talk about this in the book a little bit. I might actually ask you to unpack this because I wasn't intending to, but here we are. Um, but, you know, if they are your spiritual whatever, then let's, let's use a word that I don't think I saw in the book. Loyalty is expected of you as a parishioner, as a church member to that pastor because they are your spiritual headship and oversight. When ultimately the only person, the only being we are to be loyal to is Christ and we can be committed to uh, a church and to a pastor but ultimately there are seasons there are reasons and there are, are, are lifetimes when people say hey love you we're in an impasse or this season is changing for me and I need to move here or you know we're a big military town so I mean we can't even do anything about half the people to leave us because they're getting stationed someplace else <laughs> you know what I'm saying um, but in it uh, if, if the community is desired, then all you can do is honor and bless them. And then maybe I'll keep in touch and one day they come back or honor and bless them and they don't. But nonetheless, you honor and bless them and you love them because you are their shepherd in that season. And if that season comes in and so be it. But OK, so, yeah, I'm sorry. There you go. Not the rabbit trail. If you would like to, please feel free to unpack on that as well, because I know that that's a big understanding of how I see control with pastors now, you know, and it's, it has nothing to do with the relationship with the community called spade to spade. It's everything to do with KPI and, and butts and seats and cash and till. Am I correct or am I wrong here? Please. So wait, what is KPI? I don't know what that is. This is why I love her. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so no, KPI is a key performance indicator. Uh, so yeah. Yeah, this, these are these are marketing and business strategies to make sure that we yes. have the right number of people in our seats on a Sunday morning, uh, which oh, they okay. pick up from okay. a, yeah, business infrastructure and stuff like that. So, mm -hmm. yeah. So when it comes to that and then obviously uh, your population, how many do you have on a Sunday morning and then how much are you mm -hmm. getting and giving? Um, yeah. you know, because those things really matter. It's but like, like time, a focus don't. group where they test mm -hmm. people and determine uh, what type of handle to use on the velvet mm -hmm. bag that's passed around because it's more comfortable and, and they might give more. I think is what yeah. a KPI. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, th and so thank you and my apologies yes. because that means she's she's so. No, that's so. It's it's <laughs> such welcome news that you're like, oh, 
I'm not running my church like a business, so I'm not really I don't know sure. what any that's of those things that's, are, that's like you just said. It's wonderful, <laughs> yes. So if you're in the Durham area yes, and you need a church, a church to go to. Would recommend. <laughs> Um, and if you're not, I'm sure that uh, this thriving YouTuber has uh, links to live <laughs> sermons. There you go. I'll do your voiceover for free at Bright City Church. Oh, my. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. Yeah, please so, answer because we're, I was we're, say, we're you doing might have, too much. You might have to restate your question, Jordan. <laughs> uh, I don't even know if I, I just I wanted to get her thoughts on um, uh, what was it? Oh, pastors and and what they would probably think. If, ooh, got it. What they would probably think is discipleship. Mm-hmm. That is actually yeah. ultimately a form of potentially even toxic control. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. yes. Can you speak to that? Hey, 281G fam. This is Jordan. And I wanted to invite you to engage with us. And you can do so so far by one of two ways. The first is by good old fashioned email. The number two Americas, the number one God podcast at gmail.com. The other is our 281G conversation space you can find on FB. Engage, ask real questions. Heck, bleed if you are frustrated. It's all good. We can take it. We just want to support you. Also, don't forget to like, subscribe, share, rate, review, all those other crazy things. Uh, But just help get the word out. Hey, thank you to A1G family for your support and for continuing to make sure the truth reclaims the fringes. This podcast is sponsored by Real Relationship Talk, delivering inspirational and real relationship advice for your most intimate relationships. Got problems? Let's solve them, because real trials need real truths. From strong to struggling marriages, it's time to get in the game with marriage coach and podcast host Dana Shea. Listen to the Real Relationship Talk podcast at realrelationshiptalk.com or everywhere podcasts are played. Yeah, I mean, what I think I hear you saying is we're kind of taught how to engineer an outcome in the church, which is like, how do you grow a church? And this is how you grow a church. But that that question, unfortunately, can exist very separately from are we making disciples of Christ? And I think the difference in those objectives is one of control, you know, versus one of like, one of the things that Ike and I say to each other a lot, and this isn't original to us, but the most influential thing that we can do in our church, our most powerful leadership is our own transformation into the likeness of Christ. Mm. And that is literally the only thing that we can control is ourselves everything else we we have no control over at all but if you start to that's not to say you have no influence whatsoever but you don't have control and i think that was probably a piece of why so many pastors are burning out right now is we were kind of taught like this is the formula of how how you plant a church this is the formula of how you grow a church and then the pandemic just threw all of that in the garbage and basically said no, like people, you're going to lose a quarter of your congregation or more, Mm -hmm. and you're never going to see them again. And all of the things that you did before don't work anymore. Mm -hmm. And that is a huge recipe for burnout because control basically lies to us and says, no, no, no. Like here's all the buttons you can push to make this thing work the way that it's supposed to. And the pandemic does not care about that at all. Mm -hmm. And so you have pastors sort of scrambling to try and get back to normal, you know, before to church before, even though that is gone it is gone now. Yeah. <laughs> and so I, I think one of the ways that you can exist as a healthy person, as a healthy pastor right now is to know I'm only responsible for my relationship with Jesus and my ongoing conformity into his image. I have influence over some things, but at the end of the day, this is really all I can control and I need to hold everything else pretty loosely. Hmm. Is that a good answer to that? That's a brilliant KPI, answer to that. All that. <laughs> well, it is. Yeah. It is. It is. I, I will two seconds chime in on that because I, I feel like that is what we've been witnessing. I think even before the pandemic, 
um, there were just so many folks who really thought that, you know, cookie cutter or one church model as opposed to another church model or something was just going to be the means for growth and success in churches. And it, it ticked me off, number one, because I don't see that anywhere in the Bible. But number two, also because of the fact that, you know, you, you're, you're kind of you're you're nailing it down on this. You know, it's it was somebody's overarching, overarching understanding of what it was going to be to have control. <clears throat> and to ensure with certainty that you're going to have this many numbers of people in your church and you're going to get this many amount of dollars and you're going to have the, you know, and, and ultimately have this amount of, of influence when nothing could be further from the truth uh, because it's, it's always only going to be about raising people up and sending them out. And you can't guarantee how many people are ever going to come in your doors, but what you can guarantee is that they are secured in, in right relationship with our Lord and Savior, and, and, and amen to that. So, okay, that's all I got. <laughs> I love this conversation about control, because I'll kind of go back to, like, what is synonymous or mischaracterized as control, because I was, you know, rereading the title, The Cost of Control. It feels like that's a title that could be written by, like, Elon Musk going, you know, to drive my company to success, I had to control it. And this is what it cost me. Like it's it, but that's like a misunderstanding of what control really means. And so something you wrote in the book was, um, stability is something that's okay. Like stability is something that God wants us to, to chase after or desire. So just kind of, you know, unpack the difference between control and stability. Cause I think a lot of people don't necessarily see a difference. <laughs> Yeah. So one of the things that I think is so important for people to hear is that control is not just about idolatry. It's not just about pride. It's not just about your own sin, which is typically how I have thought about it. Is mm. I, I, I think my life is better if I'm in the driver's seat instead of God, you know, that's, and that is so much of control. But part of the reason we struggle with control is we live in this post-Genesis 3 world, but we were created for Genesis 1 and 2. We were created for stability and security and peace. Mm -hmm. And so desiring those things is not wrong at all. It's not sin. You, it, that's your soul echoing the world that it was created for. And so sometimes we long for control, especially when this is someone that you love is headed down a really destructive path and you wish that you could make them turn around. And that is not sin. That reflects the heart of God, which is why he sent Jesus ultimately to mend all of this. The way that we go off the, the rails is not in that longing for stability and security, but how we go about attaining it. Right. And Let's go. what we do is we run to control thinking that if I'm just in control of the situation, it will give me the stability and the security that I'm craving when ultimately mm -hmm. what you are truly longing for can only be had in Christ. And so that's the difference. I like how you unpack that. Cause I've, told people for years, uh, especially people who are non-believers who just think that the Bible is just this big rule book. And I'm like, no, it's, it's actually more of like a guidebook. Like it's, hey, if you do these things, life won't be so bad uh, versus you have to do these things or your life is going to be terrible. Because we see a lot of people who don't follow the Bible and I mean, they're achieving success in a variety of ways. So I love that you said we were built for a Genesis 1-2 world, but we live in a Genesis 3. Because um, so much of of God is his, his control is building in the guardrails basically and the boundaries. And then we decide, Oh, well, we know better and we're going to do this. And, um, it's, it's interesting cause I've, I, I don't experience as much as I'd like to, but this sense that if I'm kind of living within the parameters of God properly, that regardless of what's going on around me, like the pandemic is a, a pretty good example. Like I fe felt like I really found a lot of inner peace from God, just relying on him, even though all kinds of crazy stuff was going on, but I still had like a, a sense of inner peace. And that, that came from following his control versus trying to control things myself. So I, I like the way that you unpack that. Um, cause mm -hmm. it, it's better than the way that I would. So yeah, the, it which, is it very is. much better which, than the way that you would do yes. it. Absolutely. See, Amen. See how Glory to humility God. is transferring to me, Jordan. 
Nope. <laughs> anyway, um, uh, so, uh, but <laughs> no, just no. Anyway, I, I want to backtrack for a second and let's, let's talk about this because you may mention of the driver's seat and the thing that that reminded me of is uh, the, the chapter on autonomy uh, because, you know, Jesus take the wheel is now like, hold on, Jesus, you just sit over there and <laughs> in the passenger side and, and I'm going to handle some Well, things. it's take the wheel only when I need you to. Yeah, it's, yeah. Not, it's not drive the car. Yeah, okay. yeah that, that's fair too. Um, but I was curious uh, because this is uh, two Americas, one God. I, I did have a question. Um, how do you reconcile the issue of control as we seek to create and foster community? Because you were talking about how autonomy deprives of community, and one of the biggest issues there. Uh, but yeah, how do we cre- uh, deal with that in the midst of these additional silos and echo, echo chambers uh, that we have produced here? Uh, that have kind of given us to America's one God. What's your thoughts on that? Yeah. So I have another in the, in the section on tools of control. One of them is autonomy. And one of the ways that we assert control in our lives is by basically declaring no one can tell me what to do. And we live very much in a culture that that is its creed, you know, personal rights, hyper individualistic, anti-authority. And some of this, some autonomy is actually healthy and God given, you know, as I mentioned, God is not micromanaging Adam and Eve in the garden. He gives them freedom, you know, mm-hmm. but we are witnessing this overcorrection where we are reacting to a lot of stories of abuses of authority, Mm -hmm. a lot of stories where, you know, pastors or spiritual authorities or or not even that, you know, in USA gymnastics, whatever it is, where victims are taught, don't trust your intuition, you know, don't listen to your yourself and, and your convictions or your feelings, you know, just fall in line essentially. And so there, there's a necessary correction here to say that some autonomy is healthy, but also we we live in a culture that has seen again and again and again the abuse of authority mm-hmm. and the necessity of holding authority accountable. And so all of that is totally understandable, but but what we're seeing and, and what we experienced, you know, during the pandemic was this hard swing in the opposite direction. And, and part of the reason this happened was because people felt so out of control with the pandemic is they they lost this illusion of control over one area of their life. And so they went to try and find control in some other area of their lives. And for a lot of people, they were saying, I can control me. And so nobody gets to tell me what to do. And so as we're trying to navigate, how are we going to respond to this pandemic as a community so that we're all like in this together, people are saying, you can't tell me what to do. (laughs) You know, like you can't (laughs) impede my rights, you know, and and, I mean, uh... people are, are literally saying this. And so, which is not a Christian way of speaking, honestly. Right. No. And and so one of the challenges that Ike and I have tried to to work through, because because we also live in this this moment now that is really all about boundaries. And again, boundaries are great. There were boundaries in Justice 1 and 2. We need boundaries to thrive. Mm -hmm. But it's being used, it's sort of being trotted out as I'm not going to do anything. (laughs) Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. That I don't want to do because of boundaries, you know? (laughs) Right. It's like boundaries are taking my freedom away. And that's not really biblical at all. Yeah. Well, it's also (laughs) like, it's like, don't ask me to serve in church. (laughs) Yeah. You know, because I need to have boundaries. Yeah, that, right. That, that's right. really healthy. And, that's and healthy. so we're trying to navigate, okay, some of this is healthy, some of this is good, but also we have this vision of the church in First Corinthians 12, where we're this interdependent body of right. different yeah. parts, not autonomous parts, but right. we are interdependent and in how the body only flourishes when everyone is functioning at full capacity. Mm -hmm. So we have this vision. And then we also have this vision in Acts 2, 
where everyone shares all things in common. We don't talk and about Acts 2 here, ma'am. Mm-mm. No, we don't how, talk about that. No, that's don't talk about real community. That's why don't we do also that haven't brought up your money chapter because yeah. you know, we don't want to <laughs> share yeah. resources oh, either. Yeah. That's crazy. <laughs> but I mean, that's how like this, this wasn't a wealthy church. You know, the early church isn't yeah. heavily resourced. And so that's how they are able to support one another is by sharing all things in common. And we're in this moment where we're seeing people come into our church who are just totally exhausted, you know, from the pandemic, totally exhausted, uh, totally understandable. People are wanting to return to this, you know, pre-pandemic pace without the pre-pandemic emotional reserves. And they're just burning out, you know, left and right. And so I totally understand why people are like, church, don't ask me to do anything. I get that. The problem is Ike and I, cannot take care of everyone that's tired. Like mm-hmm. we physically don't have the capacity. And so that is why we need everyone to share the burden together right. because then it, it does become lighter. But right now what we're having is a lot of people saying, you can't tell me what to do boundaries. You know, I don't want to serve whatever, but I do want to be taken care of. Right. And yeah. that is a dysfunctional body of Christ. It does not work. And so we're we're often trying to figure out how to genuinely, compassionately care for people who are burned out and tired and or maybe hurt by the church and and really take good care of them, but at the same time actually be a healthy body of Christ that we are that's painted in scripture and that is incompatible with this absolute autonomy that is so like entrenched in our culture right now yeah absolutely 100% because what it does is it gives you nobody to lean on and so you know we also know that anxiety and depression and, and suicidal thoughts are up as well and half the reason is because of individualism so um, yeah, I most certainly, I'm, I'm glad and thank you for addressing that, uh, because I think that, you know, it's the, it's the proof text of what Psalm 118.8, you know, it's the, the one that's the verse that is the center of the whole Bible. It says it is better to trust in God than to trust in man. And I think that includes oneself, uh, for sure. And also, um, just the ability to fully access what it means to have control by not having control. Um, and we know that that, that comes from, uh, Rules 11.1, faith is the substance of things hoped for, evidence of things not seen. The translation in that is the minute that you adopt that understanding of faith, you dismiss all need and desire for certainty because there's no way that we can operate in certainty when we're dealing with uh, a God who is de- <laughs> behind the scenes. And we have no <laughs> idea what he's doing or how he's doing it, but we know he's doing it. So so that is good. I know that we don't have that much time left because some people have to go to eye doctors and stuff. Mm. Um, I could do this all day. Um, if we were, or you, excuse me, I'm, cause we ain't saying nothing. We're listening to That's you. Right. Um, <laughs> if you were telling us anything about control in our society today as a grand wrap up, uh, what is the one thing that you want everybody to know right now, just right at, at, at 10 55 AM on, on this great Friday morning? You know, I would go back to what I said earlier about how we live in this post-Genesis 3 world, but we were created for Genesis 1 and 2, and to just speak grace over anyone who is wrestling with control, because there are times, you know, when we are controlling or it's it's about power, you know, whatever, but sometimes control touches on this really painful part of our lives where we feel the brokenness of the world. We feel that the world is not as it should be in just devastating ways. And our desire to reach in and to make it right is is not wrong in and of itself, but to know that at the end of the day, we cannot fix it. We just can't. Mm. And if we try we are only going to break ourselves and break others more. And so that is the good news of Jesus Christ to know that he does what we cannot and that his ability to fix it is not just better than ours, but, but perfect. And to know that God sees and he knows and he cares. And that's why he sent his son. 
I, I think that, that touches. Well, I was going to do it. I was going to steal Jordan's question that he likes to ask. He kind of asked it, but in a, a more roundabout way. He likes to ask people uh, who wrote books, what is one word you'd use to describe your book? But then I was like, well, control might be the word, but we'll, we'll eliminate that from the possibilities. I've got a word. Okay. Yeah, he usually comes up with a word, too. And I think I generated a word, so maybe we'll oh, I want to hear your words. What All are right. your words? What's your word? Okay, my word is release. Oh my gosh, that's the same word. <laughs> See? See how we're in lockstep here? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, cause the, the minute word. that you understand what control is yeah. and what, what real control is, mm-hmm. excuse me, um, then yeah, it, it really does. It releases you from the tension, uh, from the anxiety, from the depression, uh, from everything that comes along with it. Because I love how you frame the first, uh, like the front end of the book and basically saying like the tighter you want to squeeze, the worse things are going to get. Mm. Let go. Um, I even love the part with old boy that used to predict, you know, when the end of the world was coming and he did it time and time again. I was like, this is the dumbest thing uh, I've ever seen. Like, kid, have you read the Bible? Do you read? So, yeah. Well, we got a um, new one in queue, but that's a whole nother story. We uh, yeah. um, well, you know, next I, time we need to do three, two, one word and then we can, we both would have been release. It would have okay, been, yeah, yeah. been great. <laughs> High fives. That's so good. That's so good. Uh, so good. So good. Anything from, from you? Mr. No, Chandler, thank you else? for joining us. I always get, uh, Refreshed and enlightened in talking to people like you who are so much smarter and more spiritually in tune than I am. So that's good. Yeah, he, really, he really does need it because I, I just I, I, need, I can't disciple I him so anymore. Bad. It's too much. Yes. That's good. <laughs> uh, if, if, if we're looking for you, where are we able to find you? I'm most active on Instagram. So Sharon H. Miller. Very, very cool. So look for her, Sharon H. Miller. That's cool. And of course, again, the book is The Cost of Control, Why We Crave It, The Anxiety It Gives Us, and The Real Power God Promises. Glory to God. Mm. All right. That's good. So guys, this is ready and available. Um, I know I think I Amazon Divine, so you can feel free to grab your copy uh, wherever amazing and awesome books are sold. And the Reverend Dr. <laughs> Sharon Hottie Miller, thank you once again for joining us on this uh, very glorious, very, very righteous podcast. Uh, glory. Uh, no. <laughs> wow. Overselling. Uh, yep. Yep. <laughs> Way overselling. It's, it's all about that. You know, it's just good. But people will love her. But now, thank you again. Not, for you're not overselling out. her. You're overselling our. Platform. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 <laughs> that was kind of the point. Yeah. I want us to really feel like we have control of our narrative. Oh, good. Okay, good. So we've learned nothing. So that's great. So. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And ladies and gentlemen, once again, thank you uh, so very much for listening. Please don't forget to like, uh, subscribe, download, and share with the people in your world. And as always, please don't forget uh, to do your best to bring society to con- uh, to the culture. I can't talk right now. Uh, and to do whatever you can to continue to reclaim the fringes. This has, has, has been, oh my oh gosh, boy. can we just read? No, this is organic, nope. right? No, nope. we're here. A flaws uh, and all. Yep, yeah, yeah, this has been the 2A1G podcast. I'm Jordan. I'm Devin. And we will catch you next time where I'll be able to use my words in a more articulate manner. Mm, amen. Mm-hmm. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Y'all take care. Peace. 2A1G Podcast is birthed by the Inspired One Enterprises. Executive and co-producers, Jordan Brown and Devin Chandler. Editing and engineering, Lauren Price. Graphics and creative engagement, Alyssa Wise. Intro song for 2A1G done by Dave Hummel Music. Interlude and outro music, Colin Brown. Voiceover experience for 2A1G done by none other than the original, Reverend Dr. Clarence R. Brown Jr. Thanks, Pop. And thank you everybody else for listening again. Please find us on FB and IG at 2A1G Podcast. And don't forget to like, subscribe, and share this experience with your world. Thank you once again. And until next time, please do your part to ensure the truth continues to reclaim the fringes. Peace.